Welcome to Podcasting Smarter, the podcast for podcasters by podcasters. Podcasting Smarter is the official podcast from Podbean, featuring podcasting interviews, best practices, and helpful tips. We're here to give you the tools, resources, product updates, and news to help you get started podcasting and keep your podcast growing. Hello, and welcome to Podcasting Smarter. Today, we're having a conversation with Naomi Mella of Skylark Collective, the International Women's Podcast Awards, and the Smashing the Ceiling podcast. We're so excited to speak to her about her journey into podcasting, creating the International Women's Podcast Awards, setting rates, being an independent podcast service provider, and so much more. Stay tuned. And here we go. Hi, Naomi. How's it going? Hey, Norma. I'm good. How are you? Good. We are so excited to have you here today. So before we jump in, tell us a little bit about what the Skylark Collective is and the International Women's Podcast Awards. We'll get to a bit later. But first, I want to hear about podcasting that you started in, how you got into podcasting and created the Skylark Collective. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me, Norma. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Um, So I uh, got started in podcasting in a bit of a roundabout fashion, like so many other people. Your listeners will probably be able to tell that I am based in the UK from my accent. So I am actually a veterinarian or veterinary surgeon if you live in England by background. So I've been a vet for 15 years. And about five years ago, um, we had to relocate with my husband's job. And I went to a place where I didn't know anybody. And I couldn't find a job employed temporarily, um, which considering (laughs) everybody tells you there's a crisis in recruitment for vets in most countries in the world was kind of unusual. Um, And at that time, I was was in a bit of a lull in my career and I wasn't really sure what I was doing with myself. And so I decided to set myself some personal challenges rather than worrying too much about my professional life. And I had been thinking about starting a podcast for a bit. I've always loved chatting to people and... I guess the process of talking to owners all day and taking histories and meeting people is kind of like doing mini interviews 10 times a day. So I was like, I think I could do this. And the other thing I wanted to do was run an ultra marathon randomly. So I'd set myself this challenge of starting a podcast and running an ultra marathon. And I managed to do both those things, which was great. And uh, Smashing the Ceiling was the first podcast I started back in... I started recording back in 2017. And I was so rubbish. I was so rubbish. Like I didn't know anything. And I was podcasting from my bedroom and sometimes from my kitchen, which is such a stupid place to podcast. Um, But I didn't know any of those things at the time. And so like my audio was terrible and my interview style was not very good. And I didn't have any equipment at all apart from my laptop. So yeah, I really began at the very beginning. I have no professional background in radio or sound engineering or audio media or marketing, which was one of my other huge fails that we can talk about. But yeah, that was how I got into it. I just I just started really. Um, and then the way that Skylark developed uh, was that through my work as a vet, um, I worked in horse racing for quite a long time. So I'd been wow. involved in women's networks for uh, for horse racing, for sport. So I did a lot of work with women in sport in the wider general. And I kind of realized there was this great big gap in podcasting. 
particularly in Europe, it's being served really nicely in the US by Jess and Elsie from She Podcasts and Danielle from Women of Color Podcasters and people like that. But we had nothing, even kind of, uh, you know, social media groups or, or anything Europe-based. And I found that a lot of the events, particularly educational things that were being held were kind of on US time zone. And so I just thought, oh, I feel like there's a gap for that here. And so Skylark has grown. We are a global collective, but we're a, we're a community of women and people of minority genders who podcast. And we gather, we network, we celebrate, we collaborate, we do everything. We have about 50 members so far. We have some in Asia, some in America, mostly Europe, if we're honest. Um, and we are just a really wonderful community group collection of people who kind of come together on a, on a month-to-month basis to, to really help and support and lift one another up. Uh, so yeah, so I've been running that for about 18 months now. And um, I, I just love it. I absolutely love it. I love everything about podcasting the podcasting family. I've just met so many incredible people doing this and uh, it's become a real joy in my life, actually, Norma, to be honest. Absolutely. And I love what you said about starting, right? Because this is the thing about about podcasting and, and what seems to be a very common experience with a lot of podcasters. If you ask them to go back and listen to their first episode, it's like, no, 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 you can't make me. But everybody starts somewhere. And I think that with podcasting, because you know you can start a podcast in five minutes from your phone here at Podbean, you know you can also create large narrative documentaries and and publish them on our platform as well. But it's such a wide option. There's so many different ways to podcast that it's best to just get started. And everybody's journey is different. So I love the way the way that you started um, and that you actually ran the ultra marathon. I was thinking that you must have not. <laughs> You're so involved with podcasting. I well, I was, <laughs> okay, well, maybe maybe you got into podcasting and the marathon fell by the wayside, but you did it. Well, no, because I had a very uh, unique... Um, who is a woman called Sarah Williams that some of your listeners might be aware of. So she runs one of the most successful female-led podcasts in the UK that's called Tough Girl. And she she's an adventurer. She's an ultra-athlete herself. And she interviews women in adventure, basically, on on Tough Girl. She's built a huge community around that. She's done it full-time from the first day she started it. She's an amazing woman. So she coached me on how to run an ultra and how to get through that and basically survive and uh, and how to start a podcast. And wow. so she, I had a, a, a few sessions with her and she's a wonderful person that I have kept in touch with. She taught me the rudiments of podcasting and um, as I said, the rudiments of, of not dying on an ultra run. And um, she <laughs> surviving, very, was surviving, surviving the ultra marathon. Absolutely. <laughs> and and just kind of kind of jumping back into, you know, the fact that you had a prior career to podcasting, because it's one of those things where so many podcasters come from different vocations, right? You have a different mm-hmm. career, you have a different job, you podcast on the side, and then all of a sudden it becomes a career for you. And so, and there's so many different ways that a lot of our guests have done that. So I, I love that you were a vet. Can mm-hmm. you tell me if there's any you know, skills that you've used from being a vet in terms of maybe the empathy or listening to people or kind of drawing stories out that you've brought into podcasting? Definitely. Yeah. I think that's probably the biggest one, the the listening skills. My husband calls it my tell me all your problems face, which is basically that when you ask the right questions, people tell you everything. And I don't mean that in an intrusive or, or bad way. It's the capacity to extract information from an owner about their animal that is useful to you is really quite hard. And it's often surrounded by a lot of other 
uh, emotion and attachment and life circumstance that you often end up hearing about as well. And I usually say, like, I love hearing people's stories. And I've worked, you know, one of the unique things about being a, a horse vet, which is my specialty, you know, I would be working with everybody from the landed gentry through to gypsies and travelers. And, you know, those are very, very different people. And I think the thing that I have learned the most is to flex my communication style, depending on who I'm talking to. And uh, that is a really useful asset that has served me in podcasting. And I think I'm really interested in everyone. And I think that is great clinician. Like I don't have the best scientific knowledge about the most up-to-date everything medical-wise going on for every horse in the world, you know. But what I do have is an interest in people and an interest in their animals. And therefore that has translated into, I guess, my podcasting interview style. It's quite casual. It is quite interested. I love hearing people's stories and and really drawing out things that they might not have talked about before or that they feel comfortable enough to tell me in a podcast because I can make them feel that that's okay. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that I've taken I once had a 48-hour period where three of my clients told me that their husbands had left them for younger women and that their horse was basically the thing that was sustaining them at that time. And therefore, everything that I am doing for them is wrapped up in the emotion of that. Quite often, people's animals might have outlived a partner who has died or somebody who's been very ill or things like that. And those things, it's it's so multi-layered. And I think mm. that has really helped me in podcasting is kind of, navigating that on a professional basis from day to day has been amazingly helpful at navigating uh, podcast guests. And particularly as I started doing more production, just kind of the whole range and scope of people that you meet through podcasting and in different settings on a different basis. And so I guess that would be my biggest thing, Norma, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. And I love, you know, kind of how you talk about meeting people where they're at um, and being flexible in your communication, right? Because Everybody communicates differently, number one. Mm, mm -hmm. And then, you know, based on the emotion coming through, especially, you know, if you're talking about coming from a background as a vet, people get so emotional about their animals. You know, it's Mm. like, you know, there's been studies about how, you know, the the death of a pet is the same as losing a family member Mm. psychologically. Definitely. I think it's something where, you know, just being able to kind of meet people in those really pivotal moments probably, you know, gave you the the training wheels in so many ways to be able to talk to anybody about anything at any time. Um, And I want to talk a little bit about your podcast, Smashing the Ceiling and the Skylark Collective, because a lot of the work that you do in podcasting is about and for women um, and Mm. marginalized genders. And uh, a recent study has come out that one third of creators are women and marginalized genders, which is less than, than half. So I want to ask you next, how did that inspire you to amplify women's voices and um, how do you continually do that? My grandmother in particular was a very big influence on me and she worked full time even after she had children, which was very unusual back in the 1950s. And I guess the ethos that both she and my mom brought me up with was that, you know, being a woman, you, you can do anything as a woman and that there's nothing that should hold you back. Whatever you want to do or be in the world is open to you. And that was very much the kind of ethos that I was brought up with. And I guess what I saw coming into podcasting, like so much of the media and the world in general, and I guess particularly coming through sports and professionally as well, you know, I was used to being 
the only woman in the room or you know one of just a few or just kind of being around a lot of a lot of guys and i i love love working with guys and i have a lot of uh, male friends and I, a lot of male colleagues that i have had brilliant brilliant relationships with but i really also think that there's a lot of women podcasting who are making incredible work and you know really high level professional meaningful insightful work that perhaps isn't getting the attention or kudos that it deserves. And I think there are a lot of men doing that too. But when you look at the top 100 podcasts in whatever country, there's a lot less than a third in the top 100 or 200, let's put it that way. So whilst women are the fastest growing demographic of creators, that is not being reflected in the success and the financial recompense that is being provided to women. So I guess that's what I always want to help is... I really like to see other women being lifted up and and really just having money in their pocket as a result of their hard work. That is always the goal is to really showcase the work of other women out there. I think I basically receive a lot of joy through lifting up other people. And that's always been my goal with Skylark and then subsequently with the awards is really to see other people rise. Um, one of my favorite phrases that came from my granny was a rising tide lifts all boats. You know, I think the more you can lift up others, it takes everybody along with you. And I guess that's the kind of founding ethos of Skylark and, and of my work in general. Absolutely. And we we actually use that phrase a lot in, in terms of podcasting because the industry as a whole is growing at such an exponential rate. Mm. And it's important, you know, for women in marginalized genders and any marginalized group to not fall behind, I guess, as that tide lifts lifts us all up as an industry. I, I love the way you put that. And I think it is really important. Um, tell us about the International Women's Podcast Awards. Mm. So I started this last year. So we've just literally a couple of weeks ago had our second um, iteration. Yes. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. Yes, it was amazing. Um, well, I think it was good. Um, so yeah, so Skylark started, um, it came as an idea during the very first long lockdown in the UK in 2020 and launched in 2021. And I decided at the same time that I would throw an awards for, for women and people of marginalized genders in podcasts. Sort of started this and I thought, oh, this will just be a small thing, you know. And then somebody I know who works in PR actually uh, said to me, are you accepting entries from overseas? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I think we will. And she was like, you need to call it international. She was like, put international somewhere. So I thought, well, you know, we might as well just say what it does on the tin. And uh, <laughs> so we, we called it the International Women's Podcast Awards. Um, and yeah, so that began in September 2021. And I think it was driven by a couple of things, really. One, again, was this idea of providing a platform for people. And secondly, that we have the British Podcast Awards over here, which are really amazing. Yeah. Um, and they do cater to independent podcast awards in to some degree. But um, I felt that there was quite a lot of very big shows coming from very big production companies in that. And I wanted to offer a platform that was inexpensive um, to women and, and people of marginalized genders to be able to showcase their work. And I, the other thing that um, I'm sticking my neck out a bit, but I I think that a lot of awards are pretty expensive to enter. And I think that that's a real barrier to people. And one of the other things that I bang the drum about a lot is equity as well as equality. And I think the easiest way that I find to think about that is 
it's not just being able to stand on the starting line of the 100 meters, but it's how far you start and, you know, through their privileges or through their opportunities might be starting 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 meters down the 100 meter race, whereas other people are starting at zero or even minus 10 meters, you know. So I think what I'm also always trying to do is create equity of opportunity for people and actually just really encourage people to come even or to enter when they don't feel that that is a place for them. Because I feel that it's a place for everybody and everyone who is producing good work should feel that they are able to enter awards, not that it's only for people who had a huge budget or have got a professional producer or whatever it is. That's what I've always wanted to try and create is a place where everyone feels that their work is deserving and welcome. We only had eight categories in the first year. We only have 10 this year. Um, and yeah, it's, we tripled our number of entries from year one to year two. Uh, I've been very lucky to be supported by some really good, great companies who have believed in me and the vision that I have. Uh, this year, we were lucky enough to have a fund to be able to support people to attend who wouldn't have otherwise been able to from a financial perspective. And I'm hoping to extend that to entries for next year as well. So I guess, yeah, it's growing. We're completely full both years. I doubled the size of the venue from year one to year two, and mm. I'm going to have to grow it again for next year because we had a massive waiting list of people wanting to come. And I think when you gather a bunch of mostly women. It was like, you know, there was lots and lots of guys there, supportive allies, which I think is really important. But the energy in the room was off the charts. Amazing. Both years, actually. And it was a real thrill to be there again a couple of weeks ago and just to really celebrate some utterly phenomenal podcasts. Absolutely. I mean, at Podbean, we have 620,000 podcasts. <laughs> and there's, the, you know, when you think about how many podcasts are out there in the world, it's millions. So... You know, as soon as you discover a new podcast that you're excited about, there's five more. It, we're in such an exciting time for the medium. And just to give a bit of context, you did mention the barriers to entry for award shows. Can, can you mention how much it is to enter at, for the International Women's Podcast Awards and then maybe what the fees look like for maybe other larger podcast awards? Because I think a lot of podcasters don't know. So, um, yeah, it's £25 for independent podcasters and £60 for corporate or um, production houses. Yeah, so some of the larger podcast awards, you might be looking at hundreds to enter. Some of them, not so much. The British Podcast Awards is also very affordable. But, and a kudos to those guys on that. Yeah, we, so this year we partnered with the Podcasting Seriously Fund, and I would give a massive shout out to Jaleka and the work that they do there. That supports uh, BIPOC and LGBTQI plus creators to enter podcast awards in Australia, Canada, America, and the UK. And they will refund your entry fees uh, for any podcast awards that you want to enter. So I would give a really big plug to them because they do incredible work. Uh, and so we've partnered with them this year as well uh, for entry fees. Um, and then, as I said, I, I was supported by Amazon Music and Wondery for people to attend. So we had a fund whereby anybody could buy a ticket either to come in person to London uh, or to attend on the live stream for free. And I'm hoping to extend that into covering entries for, uh, for anybody who, for whom uh, the cost would be a barrier next year as well. Um, so that's kind of how I have structured things. Uh, and, I, and that has worked really well. We had a really uh, quite a large number of people applying for, uh, for those tickets through the fund this year, which was really gratifying to me because it showed that there was a need that we are fulfilling. The thing I think is to make it as easy and encouraging and welcoming as possible. And welcoming is a, a word I use loads because 
I just want people to be able to feel that they belong with us. I really believe that you get back what you put out. I'm a big believer in kind of karma and, you know, universe juju. But I, I really feel like yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think a lot of people follow that golden rule, right? And it's definitely something where you know, just even seeing directly the need that the International Women's Podcast Awards fulfilled on a community level is huge, um, and the community aspect of that is incredible because it really brings people together and makes people feel you know like they're part of something, like they really are part of podcasting as an industry, podcasting as a movement, podcasting overall as a community. So I think that is really incredible and beautiful. Um, And can you just tell me a little bit about the impact and the importance of having International Women's Podcast Awards? All of our um, entries are judged by a judging panel. I love to see what they think of what is entered because I, you know, everyone's tastes are different. People's life experiences are different. One of the big things that we bang on about, and I am constantly rattling on about, is that we don't have a category for best documentary podcast or best interview podcast or best sports podcast or whatever. What we talk about are these moments of audio brilliance. So uh, I always say that you don't have to be a comedy podcast to have a hilariously funny moment in your podcast. So we we always say that each category is open to every genre. And I think one of the biggest impacts is the variety of shows that we have enter. And I absolutely love that. We, we only have 10 um, because... I like my awards to be short and sharp. So um, it's kind of efficient. You've got 10 categories, you rattle through them and then you have a good time. And, um, we may change that in future, but that's where we are right now. Um, I've just been to award ceremonies where there's 53,000 million categories and it takes three hours to present them all or whatever it is. And everyone's a bit bored. So um, I was like, we're going to have a short, sharp awards presentation. And for there's a lot of people who join us from overseas. And I think that's one of my other big impacts is everything is live streamed and the number of people um, who emailed me afterwards and said I was dialed in on the live stream but I really felt included that was Mm. one of the most important things for me is is that even if you're watching from your couch not everybody will be able to come whether you're in Scotland or Siberia but it doesn't matter because you can still be a part of it one of my other big impact goals is to really be encouraging and highlighting work from elsewhere in the world you and I chatted a little bit before we started recording about Afroqueer, which is a, a Podbean podcast that comes out of Nairobi in Kenya. And we had entries from Japan, India, Thailand, South America. And, you know, I had people emailing saying, can we enter in different languages? I, I couldn't facilitate that in year two, but I would really like to in future. Yeah. And I've got some ideas about how to do that because I think there's so much awesome stuff happening in, you know, other languages, dialects, etc. from across the globe that is just waiting to be discovered. And I would love to be really showcasing and highlighting that work in future years too. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot, I think, happening or coming up in terms of different languages. And, and there's a bit of a buzz in the air. It feels like around that. Um, so hopefully in future, we'll all start to see more podcasts in foreign languages. Um, and for those of you who speak multiple languages, don't be shy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> podcasting is is global and it's around the world. So it is important and your voice is important. You did mention Afroqueer, the Afroqueer podcast and the winners from Podbean, Sally Diem. There was also another winner 
Helen Fospero from The Context Conversation. So we did have a couple of winners at the International Women's Podcast Awards from Podbean. So we did want to give a quick shout out and say congratulations to Sally and Helen. And I have to say, actually, Helen, uh, bless her, was... So for anyone who doesn't know, Helen is a... uh, She's a well-known radio television presenter in the UK. And she had been engaged to present at another event that evening and she actually welcomed the keynote speaker dashed down to the international women's podcast awards picked up her award and went back to the event that she was actually hosting herself to close (laughs) the evening so she appeared looking so glamorous uh and she just kind of turned up came up on stage picked up her award gave a little acceptance speech and then was like i've got to go see you later it was so uh it was she just kind of dashed in and was to see whether she was going to win because she knew they'd been shortlisted and she was like i really want to come and as it happened they had actually won which was very cool yeah absolutely and that's what's so great i think about live events is that you have those moments where people show up and, and there's that buzz of excitement. So whether it's virtual or in person, it is really nice to have that connection with podcasters that we listen to and love or are just getting to know. I think that is so important. Um, I want to pivot a little bit though, because also you are an independent podcast creator and a podcast service provider. So I want to talk a little bit more about the podcast that you make and your style of podcasting and creating a podcasting business, because that is such a large part of what you do as well. So for anybody who's a beginner and people just getting started into podcasting, because, you know, your journey is so inspirational, right? From, you know, creating podcasts in your kitchen and having that pivotal first few episodes (laughs) that nobody wants to listen to, to creating the International Women's Podcast Awards and, and Skylark Collective. What are some tips and best practices you can offer for everybody who is just starting and wants to make an impact and feel part of the community? So I think the biggest tip I would give, and this was very much a do as I don't do as I do. I think I mentioned earlier about my marketing fails. Uh, yeah, I let's get from, into it. I have zero <laughs> background in sales and marketing. I, I like literally none. I had no idea about anything to do with anything around that. Like I'm a vet for my career, you know, like I'm good at talking to people. I'm really good at talking. I love talking to people. Like the interviewing part was fine. Tech, marketing, all of the follow-up, social media, disaster for me. And I think probably the biggest tip I would uh, would give to people is to actually just do some planning. I didn't even have a production schedule. I had no idea why. L- literally, I was producing on a week-to-week, on-the-hoof, crazy rush kind of scenario. Um, every week my husband would look at me and be like, why are you doing this to yourself? This is mental. You're not making any money. You're like so stressed and crazy because, and and the reason that was the case was because nothing was planned. And the other tip I give to people is don't underestimate the amount of time it will take because as anyone who makes an independent podcast will know that you don't put it out into the world. There's so much more to it than that. And I, I think that I didn't understand that and I think I hadn't really done enough kind of preparation before I began. Um, someone recently described me and and actually themselves, uh, they were including themselves in this description as being ready, fire, aim as their, yep. um, <laughs> as their kind of ethos in life. And I would, I think that's probably quite true. Um, I tend to jump probably slightly before I'm ready. And I don't think that that's necessarily always a bad thing. We talked about just starting before. Yeah, absolutely. And I think but also I think, just letting yourself be led by that excitement. I think mm, that that's really definitely. important because, you know, in terms of technology, in terms of skill, those are things you can learn along the way. But that excitement, that's really going to drive the engine. And and I think, you know, maybe particular skills, maybe in terms of 
editing, in terms of the tech, in terms of learning to publish your podcast. I mean, at Podbean, we can teach you that. You know, I feel like those are more mm-hmm. kind of additional cars on the train, but that engine of your podcast train <laughs> in this analogy mm-hmm. I just created, mm-hmm. it's really that, it's really that excitement. It's that passion. It's that's your why, your drive. It is. It is. But I think what I would do differently would be to harness some of that and just put it into a little marketing strategy before I began. And there's tons of stuff out there about how to create a podcast launch strategy. You know, oh, would, yeah. We've got again, links here on Podbean. We'll pop them here in the show notes yeah, for you. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> from Tink Media, who does incredible work on podcast marketing. If you're not signed up to any of her newsletters, she does incredible stuff. Lo- loads of advice there as well. And so I think the, uh, the other misleading uh, aspect that I thought at the beginning was that if you build it, they will come. So therefore, if you put your podcast out into the world, everybody will come and listen to it. And the reality is that's not really the case. Like you have to tell people that it exists. And that is something that I was quite bad about doing. And I think what I would have done is try to just create a bit more excitement around a show launching and me actually putting a podcast out because I've always been really happy with what I've done and who I've spoken to and the interviews that I've had and the podcast that I've created. But I think the skill is in getting other people to listen to your work. Mm. Uh, So that would be my biggest tip is to do a little bit of planning around your social media if you're going to go down that route um, or your podcast launch, maybe getting yourself as a guest on other people's podcasts um, and actually just having a think about how to make people aware, whether that's you know, telling everyone in your phone book or, you know, telling your family and telling them to tell a person, whatever it is, you know, just getting the word out that your show is out there in the world, I think is a really important bit at the beginning. I think like you say, you can learn the tech. You know, I I have produced some reasonable sounding stuff with a pair of headphones with a microphone on the wire under a blanket. You know, like you can do that. It's not ideal, but I don't think you need to spend hundreds or thousands of dollars on tech. I just I just don't really believe that. I think you can and it will sound really wonderful, but I think you can also make a very very good podcast with some very inexpensive kit and yeah. some free I- software. It's definitely a learning curve. I mean, at Podbean, we have so many resources for podcasters and we want you to be successful in your podcasting initiative. That's really, that's our whole goal. Mm. <laughs> and so definitely. it's something where, you know, yes, there are narrative documentary style podcasts where, you know, large scale media organizations spend insane amounts of money. And then there's also mm. great podcasts that monetize and podcasters, you know, make a living and sustain themselves on their podcast and they're filming it at home, they're filming it under the covers. Mm-hmm. They're filming it in a closet mm-hmm. um, or recording it. Sorry, they're recording it in a closet. And it's just one of those things where in terms of recording your podcast, you know, there isn't... Well, here at Podbean, you know, it's something where we just want people to be successful in their podcasting initiatives. So, you know, you can spend crazy amounts of money as a large media organization on a documentary style, you know, narrative style documentary podcast. And also you can also create an incredible podcast from your closet under a blanket, you know? And so it is about just the scale of what you want to do and how you can do it. And I think a lot of people discourage themselves because, you know, they don't come in with a big budget and they're not, you know, maybe a large traditional media organization, but that's what's so great about podcasting is that everybody has a voice and everybody has a place within. Yeah. And I think that's what really drew me to it is that the barrier that, you know, the bar to entry is low. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about 
podcasting is that it is quite democratic in that sense. And you could you could say the same about starting a YouTube channel these days. You know, it used to be so hard to break into television, for example. Whereas now you can do anybody can make a YouTube channel at home. And I think podcasting has done the same for radio. You know, it was has always over here, it's always been so hard to get a job at the BBC, for example. But actually, if you make an amazing podcast, whether that's under your blanket by yourself or with a yeah. huge production company, if it's really good and it's really successful, that doesn't matter where you start. You know, yeah. you can start anywhere and be successful if you're making a great product. And I think you're right. And I, I think that's one of the things that I try and encourage people about is this idea that you don't have to be big with loads of money behind you to to do it brilliantly. And I think that's biggest take home to people is there is loads of education like you were saying normal like you guys have loads of resources there's so much stuff out there and it's one of the things that you know we offer in skylark is to help you improve without breaking your budget basically and to get the best out of your podcast so that you can monetize it if you want some people don't want to they just want to do it as a hobby and, you know and i have other members for whom they don't want to monetize their podcast but it forms part of their business and it's a way for them to be a thought leader. It's a way for them to network. Right. It's branded a way content. For them. It's community creation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Or even if they are, even if their their services are high ticket, so they might need to only garner one client every two months from their podcast for that to be incredibly worthwhile for them. You know, you might. I think the other thing that we get so focused on is the size of audience, and I. You know, that is important, don't get me wrong, but wouldn't you rather have a hundred highly engaged people that are going to buy from you in a high ticket item than have a thousand people who couldn't care less what you do and are not engaged with your show, you know? And I, I think that quality over quantity is something that we tend to forget about when we get so hung up on download numbers because people are so concerned about the vanity project in a way of, of how people are listening. Yeah. If you had a hundred people, you know, come to a live event you were doing and you rented a hall, you know, you'd be so stoked, right? If you had, if you had a hundred people sit there for an hour and listen to you speak about, you know, whatever it is that you're passionate about or a business that you have or an interview that you conduct, whatever it is, it would be a big deal. And so I think it is one of those things where you know, our our perspective of it sometimes isn't always reflective of the actual attention that people are giving us in terms of listenership and the depth, right? Like you were saying, it's better to have a hundred, you know, really committed listeners who maybe if you have a high ticket item and you have a branded podcast, you know, you only need one sale every two months. So if you get a sale every month, your podcast is knocking it out of the park. Yeah, it's incredibly successful. Completely. So yeah. Yeah. That's a really important perspective. 100%. As well. And and I think also it's something where you know, maybe it's that those listeners are very dedicated or maybe you're getting the response you want, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the breadth of your audience, but the depth I think is also a metric mm-hmm. that we we aren't always bringing our attention to as much. And, and I think that that is a really important consideration for all podcasters. So for everybody out there getting started, having those dedicated listeners is really important. And to making sure, you know, if you have your podcast avatar, we always say, you know, your avatar here at Podbean, some, you know, your ideal listener, what that looks like, what they you know, what they like, what they listen to, you know, kind of everything about them. 
you know, once you have that avatar, it's, it's, it's so important, you know, that, that you build that relationship with them as an audience. So I think it is a really important aspect as well mm-hmm. of podcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, and within Skylark and, and what you do, I think as a podcasting service provider, um, I want to talk a little bit about the getting client side of things because, you know, you, you started to build your business. You also have a mentorship as well. And so what has it been like in terms of getting clients and creating community in that way? Yeah, so it's up and down, I think, is probably the the easiest way to describe it. I think that it's the growth is always slow when you start something and you have peaks and troughs. And I kind of feel that this is another thing that we don't really talk about when you're building a community or you're building clients of any kind, yeah. of, whether that's production clients or partners for the awards or people within the community. I think there's a lot of, it's almost people don't really lift the lid on the kind of ins and outs of that, which is it's slow. People don't always want to work with you again once they've worked with you once, and that's fine. I, I think one of the things that the, one of the best pieces I would of advice I was given: you shouldn't be for everybody. Nobody can be for everybody, and so not everybody is going to want to work with you or like what you do, whoever you are and whatever you do, and that is okay. Um, and I think if you try and be something to everybody, you're nothing to nobody. So I, I think for me, in terms of targeting, I'm very clear on the people I serve. You know, I probably don't have that much to offer women podcasters who are smashing it out of the ballpark already. Lord knows they do not need my help or anyone else's for that matter. You know, if you've already got a top 20 podcast, you're probably not going to join Skylar because why would you? What people come for, you know, the people I serve, I often say are the people in the wonderful middle ground who are doing, they're established, they're doing fantastic work. Maybe they're not long established, but they're kind of off the ground and their shows are growing. Maybe they want them to grow a bit more. They want to meet people. They want to collaborate. They want to learn more. They want to take their shows to the next level. And I think what you were just saying about customer avatar is really important. I write those moderately frequently and I have multiple going at once because I think whilst I'm not I am not the person for everyone I'm also not the person for just one person if that makes sense um so I think I sometimes have more than one avatar going Uh, and I think the other thing to bear in mind is just recruiting or building leads on clients for production or uh you know particularly awards partnerships some of those have taken a year to come into fruition and some of them have come really unexpectedly through just relationships that I've cultivated with no expectation at all. And if I talk about, like people often talk about, ask me about pitching and securing partnerships and securing clients. And the biggest thing I always say is, I don't expect anything from anybody in the first instance. Everybody who I connect with, I connect with because I want to meet them, not because I want something from them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's also, you know, just honoring the fact that things take time because as podcasting is such an emerging industry and things are happening, it can feel even lightning quick. You know, there's there's almost a FOMO, right? A fear of missing out <laughs> where people mm-hmm, feel like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not an overnight success, you know, or, oh, I launched my podcast and it isn't top 20. What am I doing? You know, and so I think that bringing a little bit of that reality into play is so important, right? And, and just doing the work without the expectation of, 
oh, we're going to get sponsored by all these big brands or, oh, we're going to create, you know, one of the top podcasting award ceremony ceremonies uh, and awards within the industry. I think it's something where just just being patient and and being in the process is such an important reminder because so many mm. podcasters come in and and you know we see the overnight successes they they do exist of course um, but it is almost anecdotal right and I think mm. that there is you know like like you were saying in terms of best practices for people who want to jump into podcasting just to bring your awareness into you know what you want to do and how much work that's going to take. You know, maybe yeah. having yeah. A, a, yeah. recording some episodes in advance. You know, having mm. a, having yeah. a back catalog just ready to go. So if there's a week you don't want to record, you've already got an episode. So I think it is I, one of those things we're bringing our awareness into the reality of it and the human pace of each individual's podcasters. Each individual podcaster's journey is so important. Definitely, and you mentioned the concept of overnight success. There, I the one I remember so vividly reading an article with Ed Sheeran where they were talking about overnight success because certainly when he first got started in the UK as a musician, it yeah. seemed like he absolutely blew onto the scene from nowhere and was just everywhere. And then when you read about him, he had been busking on the streets of London and Suffolk for years, years. learning years. his craft, yeah, <laughs> learning their guitar skills, writing their songs, living on people's couches because he was sort of sofa surfing with friends. That's there's no such thing as an overnight success. Everything you've done to that point is building towards the success that you eventually have. And I just, I really feel that if people have a within success, it hasn't come from nowhere. Nothing comes from nowhere, and you have to build. and And I think we live in a world where quite often we want everything now, and everybody wants everything now. And I think that's one of the things I've accepted is that if I pitch to a, a company or if I pitch to a client and they say no, I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Maybe that'll keep come to something in future. And I think having the grace to say to people, oh, it's been so lovely to meet you. Let's keep in touch. Because you just never know when those things are going to come around. And that is one thing I've learned is that things have rekindled for me two or three years later in ways that I just wouldn't expect. And people come back around and they sometimes they pop up at unexpected times and I think just that patience and that acknowledgement the other phrase that I really like is sometimes you're just in the messy middle you know you kick off at the beginning you jump in with both feet you're full of ideas and you're bubbling with excitement and then you kind of get going and you're like ah where am I going now I've got no idea what I'm doing and everything just feels like this absolute mess and you can't see the wood for the trees. And if, and if you're in that position, believe me, you are not alone, whether you're a podcaster or you're running a business or whatever, because everybody has the messy middle. Yeah. No, I, I love Everything the way... Everything going wrong. Yeah. No, I, I love the way that you're putting that. And I think also it's something where it's just important to you know have your vision as a podcast service provider, You know, understand what you're going to do, what you want to do, and then you know, give yourself the grace to do things at a human pace and, and understand that things take time, you know? So it is a really important aspect. There, there's a book called Three Feet from Gold. I'll just mention it because it's about, you know, turning your obstacles into opportunities. And so it's, it's interesting, you know, talking about how people think, you know, that moment where you maybe would give up, you know, you're just close to the, you're so close to the goal, but you just don't see it. You haven't turned the corner yet. So, Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think 
what you don't see with anybody is all the stuff behind the scenes. You know, like I only launched Skylark because I had been in a coaching mastermind for six months beforehand thinking about what the hell I was going to do with my life, you know, and then I kind of slowly, really gradually developed this idea and then it started to take shape and then it took shape a bit more. And I was still working on my job full time at this point. And, and so I was kind of journaling and writing and bouncing ideas off people and trying to develop an idea, but nobody ever sees that part of things. Right. You know, the part where you're like, my God, I can't think of a name of this business. And I went through relations on names and branding and trying to get it together, get it together. And that stuff I know about, but other people don't see, apart from the people I was I was kind of in a group with, because that, that stuff is just quietly done behind the scenes. And there are so many people who might be thinking about starting a podcast or starting a new show or reiterating their show. And I think that you mentioned the word giving yourself the grace there, Norma. I think sometimes you just have to accept that you need to just sit with things for a while. You know, you just have to have the idea, let it percolate. And I think what we what we miss in the busyness of our lives, or I certainly do because my life is always going out 100 miles an hour, is the time to just let those things sit and to yeah. think about stuff. And I think that as creatives... And as podcasters, we are creatives. And this is a whole other conversation. But if you would have asked me if I was a creative person five years ago, I would have given you a resounding no. Because <laughs> I was like, I'm a scientist. Right. I like science. And I'm not a creative person. Right. I'm rubbish at art. I'm you know. an equine veterinarian. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like I like science. But actually, we are all creatives. If you're making a podcast, you are a creative. And to let those ideas grow, they need time. And you need space in your mind to think about how to grow your show and how to, what ideas you're going to have next because otherwise things become stale and i and i think when we have got busy lives because lord knows we all have you know it's really hard to make that space and i think also finding the time whatever works for you as the place in which to find your space find your creative space and allow your your mind just to open and wander, I think, is really important. For me, that comes through running or walking my dog or whatever it is. You know, I, I like the beach and surfing and things as well. And everybody has their own thing, whatever that is, uh, that will allow your brain that space to open. And yeah, I that time to kind of shut off. Really important. Yeah. yeah. So you can yeah. let those yeah. creative ideas marinate. Um, well, I want to ask you one more question and then I want to get to our last, our last final questions. But rates in the industry can vary wildly. And... Um, I want to ask you next, how did you learn what to charge for your business? And and do you have any best practices for women and marginalized genders as women and marginalized genders are known for underpricing themselves? Mm. So this is something that I have really struggled with in the sense of when I first started, say so the first podcast that I was asked to produce that were not my own were in the veterinary space because I kind of became known as the girl that had a podcast and was a vet. And there weren't very many of those when I started five years ago. I had no idea how much to charge. I had absolutely no idea. Plucked a figure out of thin air and was like, I'm going to try that. And since then, I I then I then pitched for a corporate a veterinary podcast from quite a large veterinary company and I doubled my figure and added a bit and they didn't bat an eyelid and that then said to me 
God, I'm still charging a lot. I'm still charging a very low figure here because they did not even come back to me with a counter offer. So I was like, hmm, okay. And then I subsequently found out through uh, talking to people that one of the other major providers charged double my double. So like four times what I'd been charging to begin with. And I was like, wow, I'm way too cheap. And I think for me, the two big things are talking to being brave to talk to people. Um, you know, there's a lot of resources out there. Air do fantastic stuff about um, rates. Um, in the UK, we have Audio UK, who do lots of really good work in this field as well. But I, I started asking people what they charge, and uh, I got brave about that. And it's one thing I have always done in veterinary was to have conversations with other women in the industry about how much they earned, and. Again, this phrase of a rising tide lifts all boats. One girl who I know found out she was earning about £20,000 a year less than the rest of us doing comparable jobs. Not in the same company. She was working for a different organization, but that then gave more than me. I need a pay rise. And I think it's really important to, particularly with your friends or people you know, to actually have the confidence to, to have those discussions. And the other piece of advice I was given, which is now what I try and hold on to is that if when you send your quote, you don't feel really nervous when you send the send, when you click the send button on your email, then you're not quoting enough. And so I try and bear that in mind that if I am pitching for something, if I feel too comfortable about the figure that I'm offering, then I need to quote more because generally you need to be a little bit scared about your fee for it to be about right. And if people don't like it, they'll come back to you with a counter offer. And I think the other thing is just to know your value. I think I often break down what I want to earn on an annual basis and how that translates into a day rate figure. And I think having that figure in your head somewhere that you you know what your your basic rate is. So yeah. I know how much my mortgage costs, how much I need to pay for my car, what my bills are. And I calculate all those things. And then I think, right, my very, very minimum amount that I need to earn on an annual basis is X. And therefore, on a day-to-day basis, that means I need to be earning Y. And I will not go below that. And if people are not prepared to pay me that day rate, because I, you know, and sometimes you have to, and I have, and don't get me wrong, I have taken that. And when I was starting out, like I said, I charged very little because I wanted, I wanted the work. And I do have an advantage and I am aware of uh, my privilege on that of having a professional background because I can work extra shifts as a vet if I need more money. But the reality is that to make things pay financially, I work six days a week quite a lot. And in order to be financing my podcast business, I am leveraging my professional work to help me live. And I would be quite transparent about that. There are some days when I work seven days a week and I have had months where I've worked 21 days in a row in wow. order to just get stuff through on bills to facilitate me doing something that I really love. Uh, and I don't think that's healthy and it's not sustainable in the long term. Um, but I guess I've had crux points where I have had just just had to say like, I need more shifts and I need to do more vet work to allow me to pay for stuff. And, you know, I I have made losses on businesses before and events before, but I guess I see it as part of an overall growth platform if that makes sense absolutely and i think it's so brilliant of you honestly and brave to to offer that insight into your journey because i think it 
it really kind of pulls back the curtain for a lot of podcasters out there that think, you know, oh, you know, you started a podcasting collective and you mentor other podcasters and you created the International Women's Podcast Awards. <laughs> you must be buying a house with all your podcast earnings. Um, but it's something where it is a process for everybody. And and this myth of, you know, shiny success um, isn't always the the one that we allow ourselves to see any differently. So I think it's really yeah. great that you... Well, to be completely to transparent. Yeah, I mean, and, and I'm happy to do so because to be, I think, making a full-time career in podcasting, unless you go and work within a media or production or podcasting organization, it's very hard to make it work as a freelancer. And, you know, I work two days a week as a vet still now in order to supplement my income, you know, because I do have quite a big mortgage that needs to be paid. And I... I think I've only just a couple of months ago left my like full-time veterinary job where I had a paycheck every month that was a complete security blanket. I was scared when I started because I was like, this is the first time in 15 years that I don't have a paycheck landing in my account every month. And that is a scary, scary thing to do as anyone who has left full-time employment will know. If you work for yourself, being full-time self-employed is terrifying. You know, it's really terrifying. And I think, as I said, I am super fortunate that I do have a a professional career that I can dip into and I can pick up extras when I need to. But I would say there's a lot of people out there who are leveraging their skills. And I think a lot of people I meet who are podcasters also have other skills that you can tap into on a freelance basis that you might not have even identified, be that copywriting, production, social media skills, any other form of digital skills, you know, like there's a absolutely. lot of people who, yeah, absolutely. We talked to Bethany Hawkins as a podcaster. Yeah. Sorry, we talked to, no, we talked to Bethany Hawkins about this a few episodes. Oh, ago. she's amazing. Yeah. Love her. She's amazing. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Bethany. Hey. And, um, she talked about this in, in our episode where, you know, there's so many skills within podcasting, graphics, mm-hmm. social show notes, mm-hmm. editing, I mean, you know, pretty much across the board, if you have any kind of digital skill, you can transfer it over. So there's room for everyone in podcasting. And I think it is important to acknowledge that it can be a journey and a path from um, starting out podcasting or having a podcast for yourself as a hobby and then moving into being a professional podcaster, being a professional podcast service provider. So thank you so much for sharing that part of your journey with us. Um, and I just like to ask a couple more questions at the end. Where do you believe the industry is headed in your opinion? I think we will continue growth and development of large media organizations seeing podcasts as part of a suite of offerings. A lot of the conferences and conversations that I have had around those sorts of things recently have been along the lines of podcast to book, podcast to TV, IP, rights, you know, all those sorts of things. And I think that... In the, uh, let's say, more professional end of the industry that that growth will probably continue. I think certainly in Europe, we're a long way behind the US on that. Um, And we've just sort of caught up on advertising revenue and really the kind of ad sales side of things. I think we were behind on that until relatively recently, but that we seem to have kind of just latched onto that recently. But I think there's a lot more growth to be seen In that, you know, I think with the likes of Netflix getting on board with podcasts and, you know, these Sony and huge organizations that are seeing the opportunities that that will continue to grow. But 
I personally, and other people may disagree with me, I don't see that as being the end for indie podcasters. And I don't necessarily see it as making life difficult or more difficult than it is now for indie podcasters either, because to me, apples and pears, they're very different beasts. And I think they already sit separately to a degree. And if you are making your way in the world as an indie podcaster and you are doing a good job, the rise in audience awareness of podcasts can only be a good thing, even if that is facilitated by large multinational organizations with whom you are very unlikely ever to work. And that's okay. I think the more that people worldwide know about podcasts through the likes of, you know, Spotify, Netflix, Apple, whoever, um, the better that is for everybody because it means that we are we it grows the pie on audience. Yeah, it grows the entire well. medium. Absolutely. I think Absolutely. the stats around the number of people who still don't know what a podcast is or actually don't listen to podcasts is shows that there is still massive room for audience growth. Because the reality is, I don't know about you, Norman, but I still speak to people on a weekly basis who say, oh, I don't really know about podcasts. Like, I don't listen to podcasts because I don't really know how to find them. Or And to me, that seems so anachronistic i'm just like what you don't know about podcasts <laughs> right, like right. because there's Let me so much yeah right i mean yeah, they're so embedded, embedded into like the fabric of my day-to-day life to me it seems so weird that other people wouldn't know or just don't listen to them because i yeah. listen to podcasts all the time but i think we you know we're in the bubble and there's a lot of people who are not in the bubble and there's an awful lot of people for whom podcasts are not part of their daily life and yet they could be listening to your show and i think that is still a huge opportunity that we have ahead of us yet absolutely oh well naomi mella thank you so much for joining us on this episode of podcasting smarter um we'll have all of your links in your show notes and um yeah if you want to let everybody know how to get in touch with you and how people can reach out to you yeah, so uh, we're on Instagram at the Skylark Collective and Twitter at IW Podcast Awards. Website is skylarkcollective.co.uk and you can find us there. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Thank you so much, Norma. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Podcasting Smarter. If you have any podcasting questions or want to get in touch, send us an email at podcastingsmarter at podbean.com. Thanks so much and happy podcasting. Podcasting Smarter.